0: evening. Welcome. Glad to have you here tonight. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I had a pretty good week, although it could have been a little better. But I would, I guess I thank my co-workers for reminding me of a very special anniversary. You know, if you were here last week, Pastor Bob got in the little knife there with with my accident. It was a year ago, uh, last Sunday actually, and so I've got past the one-year mark. And, uh, you know, of course, I expected that from Pastor Bob. The, the person I didn't expect it from was none other than Jackie, who brought me this lovely gift. This is a snowman who's obviously fallen in a tangled mess of lights. <laughs> so, th- Jackie, of all people, I, I, I really wasn't expecting that. But if you're, uh, if you're new to Gateway in the last year or so... A year ago, I was putting up Christmas lights, fell off my roof, uh, broke my my ankle, and shattered my heel into lots of pieces, cut up some fingers, and uh, so, you know, we've all at my house been thinking a lot about that, kind of reminiscing, if you can call it that, about our experiences a year ago, and of course, probably a lot of you have broken a bone before, and, and uh, you know, it it hurts. It's a funny thing. It it. It really hurts, and, and, and so then you 've got this this big problem i mean it 's like my foot doesn 't work, my ankle doesn 't work, and uh, it, clearly it was like the dominant problem in my life there for a while, and yet uh, quickly, I realized because i 'd never broken a bone before, they kind of found that was interesting in the hospital ooh fifty year old never broken a bone this, you know let 's poke him or something and uh, and what I quickly learned is that you. You have another problem right away, and that is, this doesn't work, but then you add a layer, and that is the fear of more pain, right? I remember just going to bed and like even putting a sheet on my foot was like, "Ah, don't touch me, you know, I don't want to move it, I don't want anyone near me, you know, don't walk close to me, I'm I'm just, it's like that fear of pain, you kind of have two problems, it's broken, it doesn't work, and then you fear more pain. And then an interesting thing happens. I'd never experienced this. I'm going to do my best Mr. Rogers imitation here. I've been compared to him before, so it doesn't bother me. And then, you know, I, I was a few days without anything, and then eventually I got a cast, and then they, you, some of you remember this famous boot. And I got this, and what I found was, while they certainly are inconvenient in some ways, they completely remove one of your problems. You know, once you get a cast on, if you have a break, it's like that fear is gone. Now that you've got something that protects it. And you're still broken. You can't walk, and I can't use it, and I couldn't bend it. But it was like, and I just remember coming out of the doctor's office when I finally got a cast and then this boot. It was like, okay, Uh, you know, I'm not afraid of you guys anymore. Like, you're going to come up and kick me. Not that you would want to, but, you know, accidentally... And, and so this boot was like, oh, I love, I love my boot, you know. It took away one of my problems. And yet, of course, the day came when the surgeon said, the bone's done. It's healed. You should start taking this off. And I was like, uh, well, I like my boot. <laughs> And he's like, well, the, the bone is done healing. It's, it's as strong as it's going to get. You're, you know, you're 50. <laughs> anyway, I don't know what that means. But anyway, it's, just, <laughs> it's as good as it's going to get. You need to start taking off the boot or you're never going to walk right again. I don't know. I like my boot. Because it, it took away one of my problems. Imagine someone saying... I love my boot so much, I'll just never take it off. It really wouldn't make much sense, would it? To give up the the idea of just walking again because you love your boot. We're in a series called He Will Be Called. It's from the uh, prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah lived about 2,700 years ago. He uh, worked with some people in a very hard time in their history. He was actually in the southern kingdom of Judah, but he talked to the people of Judah. He talked to the people of Israel, and uh, life was very difficult. and he And he was speaking specifically of life in Israel, where uh, where you had to understand if you if you had a relationship with God, if you were trying to relate to Him, if you're just trying to live a normal life, you were probably really frustrated with your government. Your government would not listen to God at all. Ungodly government. And there was in that time a a spiritual heaviness. It was just oppressive. Because good was often called evil, and evil was often called good. Things were, were backwards. Have you ever felt like that was the situation around you? And then there was fear. Assyria, a great powerful military nation, was threatening conquest and And they would wipe people out. And and whoever was left was taken away. And and things were destroyed. I mean, your way of life was over. And that's the threat that they lived under. If you were just a person hoping to live out your life in quietness, hey, I just want a job, I want to work my fields, I want to have a family, I just want a normal life, you would probably feel like things were completely out of your control. And while I don't think Canada's coming down and swooping in anytime soon. You know, some of that feels a little familiar, I think. It's not as desperate, of course, because Israel was conquered and they were sent into exile and many of them died. But it's into that context that Isaiah says that now there's hope. In fact, in the very place that Assyria conquered, there was joy. And why would there be joy? Because of someone who was coming, he says to to them and to us. That a child would be born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, these are qualities of the Messiah, the King that he's promising. He's saying if you're frustrated with government, good news, there's going to be a new government in place, there's going to be a new King, a new ruler coming. There's going to be a son of David born to us. And these are some things he will be like. Today we're going to think about everlasting father. Now, first of all, he's not saying that this person will be God the father. And there's no some some kind of... ...mystery, hidden theology here... That's ...that That some people have gone... ...whoa, why is Jesus called the Father? Is the Father, isn't he the Son? And, you know, people have gone down that road... ...and where they end actually is some heretical minority view... ...and it's, it's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about this... ...who will, the, the one who will become, we know, as Jesus... ...as though he's God the Father... It's not about his essence. It's about his character. It's about what he'll do. It's about how we would experience him. Now, if we look at this literally, and this doesn't always work, you can't always look at Hebrew or Greek and go, "What's it just say literally. Sometimes that still doesn't make sense to us. We've got to translate culture. But in this case, it works really well. Literally, this is that he is the father of eternity. Now, if that kind of just sounds like it makes sense you're probably thinking of the right thing for example we say that george washington is the father of our country and you know what i was amazed you know how many fathers of stuff there are you look online it's like the father of modern chemistry and the father of the x-ray machine and i mean it's so bizarre did you know that there is a, f- a father of short track auto racing of miami florida So anyway, there's fathers out there. Something like that. You can look it up. I don't remember his name. But there are fathers. George Washington, even the Bible uses this in in different places. In John 8, Satan is called the father of lies. That doesn't mean he has little biological children and he calls them lies. We know what that means, right? It's it's, it's something we're used to hearing. Abraham in Romans 4 is called the father of all who believe. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says, even though Jesus was God's son, let's not get confused. There's God the Father, and there's God the Son, and there's God the Spirit, and there's one God. But, you know, in terms of persons, you don't need to confuse them. And Isaiah isn't trying to muddy the waters. He's saying he's the father of eternity. So Hebrews says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered in this way. God qualified him as a perfect high priest. Remember, Pastor Bob used a similar passage from Hebrews last week... ...that, that Jesus, through the things he suffered, the temptations and the, and the pain... ...and the life that he lived on this earth became someone we could relate to. Someone that we could identify with. So he's a great high priest, an intermediary between us and God. And here in Hebrews 5 it says, in addition, that same process... ...made it such that he became the source... ...of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. He's the author of eternity. He's the creator of it. He's the source of it. He is the one who opens the door, who who leads the way... ...who who makes that pathway for you, for anyone... ...to experience eternity. You ever heard the expression... uh, ...someone is so heavenly minded they're no earthly good... I've heard that expression. And I kind of think, I, I know what people are getting at. and I, Okay, but you know what? Don't ever try it out on Jesus. Because he is just like, whoo, about eternity. <laughs> he, he's all about heaven. He's like excited about it. It's his thing. It's his turf. It's his kingdom. He is excited about eternity. He's the father of eternity. Now, I know we don't like to talk about this. But we're broken. We're broken. We, we have a serious issue related to eternity. The psalm says that uh, our experience, when we look at it honestly, when we step back and kind of pick up our eyes from behind whatever we're hiding behind, we're like grass who springs up and then the wind blows and it withers and it's gone. I mean, how many weeks ago was it that it was like really warm and people were, was it the beginning of November, end of October? I don't know. It was really warm and people were like, I still have to mow my lawn. And now it's like, is dead. <laughs> it's freezing out there, right? It happens so fast. And Psalm says, our existence on this earth is like that. And we are broken. We are stuck. We have that problem. And then of course. The Bible also talks about us. Being held captive. By the fear of that reality. We fear dying. And Satan knows it. And he controls people out of that fear. And we can't fix the problem. But we're pretty good at finding boots. I can't. I can't seem to get away from the reality that I too will die, but if there's something that would kind of take away the sting that would help me not fear it, that would be good, wouldn't it? And so many times we take good things. We take good things like uh, work, like having a job. We take good things like family, and, and we say, well, that's life. So I'm just... I'm living life. But that's not exactly what life is, Jesus says. Sometimes we take good things and we just distract ourselves from life because we know life ends. We're broken, we have this fundamental problem, and, and we just get busy. Maybe even with what God's told us to do, and we're busy. Maybe it's education, and we pour ourselves into that. Sometimes we just take good things and we just dive in and we immerse ourselves and we just try and numb ourselves to everything, food and, and medicines and entertainment and hobbies, and I'll just try and be distracted. I know other people die, but I'm, I'm busy with my thing. And that's just the good stuff that we can make a boot out of. Well, there's all the unhealthy stuff and the evil stuff as well. We need a father of eternity. We're going to think about that this evening. Two things about eternity. Two major categories that we need to understand. First of all, the Father of Eternity, Jesus wants to lead you to a particular kind of life. And that is, first of all, a life of unending measure. Now, this is the quantity issue. This is what we normally think of when we think of eternity. It's it's pretty obvious. It just, if you're going to try and measure it, it just keeps going and going. It's life that doesn't end. That's kind of obvious. For all the times that we stop and maybe in our own quiet thoughts, or maybe we're, we actually shout it out, it, you know, is there more than this? Jesus answers, yes. You may be struggling and thinking, there's, there's got to be more than what I'm doing with my life. And he says, yes. Yes, there is. If you have a Bible, you might find it helpful to turn to John chapter 6. I don't know, I think to me, when, when I look at John chapter 6, Jesus is wearing his Father of Eternity hat. And he's he is helping us out. And there are some people there who play our role to the T. They just, they stand in for us. It, you know, sometimes you wish you could have been there. It's like, we were there, okay? They, we'll see. ...who they were, but uh, they fill in for us. Now, John chapter 6 starts with the feeding of the 5,000. You probably have heard that story, this miraculous experience. Uh, Jesus is out in the wilderness, and thousands of people are listening to him teach... ...and there's not enough food, and it's a long ways to a store, and on it goes. And Jesus is like, we're going to feed these people. And he only has a little food to work with, and he feeds them. And it's absolutely amazing what happens... And then that night, he puts his disciples on a boat. He sends them across the lake. He goes to pray and doesn't go. But then in the middle of the night, he walks out on the water and he crosses the lake anyway because he can do that. And then in the morning, the crowd is still there and and they're trying to figure out, okay, we saw the boats, Jesus wasn't on them, but now he's not here and and they're frantic. They're like, well, where'd he go? They're, They're trying to find him in some other boats. Anyway, they finally figure out, well, he's not here. So they take off ripping around the lake. And they, but you know, they're running. They're running around the lake. Thousands of people, this big crowd is trying to find him. And, and finally, it's a pretty big lake, but you know, it's round. So eventually, if he's on the shore, they run into him and they find him and they're like, Jesus, when did you get here? And he says some very interesting things to them. First of all, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Now, there's the crowd. They're, they're playing our part, and, and we, we want to kind of tag along and see what they experience here. First of all, it's pretty natural for us to fixate on life being immediate. Life is now. Life is today. I mean, and it's kind of obvious for several reasons. First of all, well, God created us that way. He placed us in time. That was his creation. He made us physical beings that are located in one spot at one time at a time. And it kind of makes sense. The other thing is we're not really good at waiting. We've had a lot of babies born at Gateway. Well, not in the building, but, you know, Gateway family in the last month. And, you know, all those families, they're remembering that that truth that we're not born with any patience at all, right? We want things and we want it now. And that's kind of what it is to be human, at least as we experience it at the beginning of life. And then, of course, life can end very quickly. And we know that, ultimately. We may not talk about it, we may not be comfortable with it, but we know all those things, and so life feels like it's now. And Jesus says, don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck there. He says, you're working for food that spoils. That's working hard for things that don't last, like, well, food. (laughs) Or careers, or houses, or yards, or your bank account, or your retirement account, or your toys or on it goes it's a long list and maybe they're all good things he's just saying listen it doesn't last it doesn't last Now, here's what i love about this chapter in john he's not saying they aren't important because here it was at the beginning of the chapter and everyone was hungry at a point in time and who was it that insisted the people are fed Jesus, he's like, hey, let me take care of this. This is important. I want to do this. And it was amazing. He says, when you're, when you're working for food that spoils, don't do it to the point that you distract yourselves from the food that doesn't spoil. He looks at these people. They've run halfway across, uh, around a lake I don't know, miles and miles. Hoping to get another lunch. It's like, with all the effort you're putting in, are you thinking all about things that last? Don't let food that spoils distract distract you from what's more important. And it's interesting, he says right out, You had what, you had enough. There was a miraculous sign there. I think he's saying you should have been more more interested in the important things. So I'm not sure, I'm kind of reading in here, but I'm thinking Jesus is wondering why he could perform this miracle and everyone could enjoy it and he wanted them to and have their stomachs full and he wanted that as well, but no one apparently stood up and go... You know, that's great, but tomorrow I'll be hungry again. What does this mean? What does it mean that you can do that? (laughs) Who are you? And what does it mean that you'd want to do that for me? I think that's what he's looking for. Is anybody going to ask an important question? (laughs) See, I care about your stomach. But is anybody out there thinking (laughs) about what's most important? think that's what he's saying here don't work for food that spoils i mean don't kill yourself running around a lake for a lunch now if you're running around a lake because you're trying to figure out who this miracle worker is because you think it might have something to do with what lasts that would make sense you should work like that you should think like that Work for eternal food, he says. Because for Jesus, the father of eternity, eternity is at the core of his plan. He's all about it. He's all after it. In John 14, things have gotten very confusing. He's talked about dying. He's saying, I'm leaving you tomorrow. You won't see me. And there's a little bit of panic. There's a little bit of fear. And he says, look, I will come back and take you to be with me. Here's what I'm after. So that you could be where I am. He tells that to the disciples. A couple chapters later, he's praying to God the Father and he says, Look, here's what I want. Is it, this, Father, you know, this whole cross thing, this dying thing? This is going to work out, right? Because I want my followers to be with me. It's going to produce that, right? Then, okay, let me get to the cross. He's all about it. And eternity isn't some kind of like, oh, well, they died. You know, maybe we can do something with them. (laughs) It's like, no, come on, guys. This is what it's about. There's so much more. So it's not surprising in that same chapter in John 17 when Jesus is praying, he says this about eternity. He says, You, Father, granted him, that's me, Jesus, authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Here is eternal life. It is relationship with God that does not end. It's relationship with God Where death can't take it away. That's eternal life. I want you to be with me where I am. I'm all about eternity. I've got plans. I've got ideas. I've got stuff. I can't even tell you yet, Jesus. It's so much bigger than now. It's so much bigger than right now. Now, the crowd picks up on this admonition, you know, why don't you work for what counts? And they're like, okay, so tell us about that. Tell us about that. We go back to John chapter 6. They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Good question. Now, Now you're kind of tracking with me a little bit, Jesus says. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he's sent. I want you to trust me. See, you have a fundamental problem. It's, it's been there since sin entered the world. People are broken. They are dying because of sin. Your physical existence can't hold up. You're broken. Like a bone. And Jesus says, let me heal that. And it's very simple. Trust me. Trust me to heal that. Trust me to take care of you. Today, tomorrow, right through death, on into relationship with God that does not end. Without measure. And that's open to everyone who will believe in Christ. I was thinking... uh, Because of this chapter and, I don't know, a lot of bread making going on, just thinking about bread. And I thought, you know, a hundred years ago, uh, I guess, I hear, I mean, I was around halfway back, but not the whole hundred. I guess, you know, people would make bread almost every day because you make it and then it's not going to keep. And I thought, wow, you know, nowadays we we have bread that really lasts a lot longer. Isn't that great? And yet, how many of us wouldn't rather have bread right out of the oven than bread that's like, hey-hoo, it's lasted a week. Give me some of that. Making something last doesn't necessarily make it better. And Jesus says, now, this, this eternity thing, it lasts, but it's also, it's also way better. And not just... After death, is it better? Right now, it's better. Right now, it's better. See, God, or Jesus, as the Father of Eternity, he wants to lead us into a life of unsurpassed quality. Now, the crowd, as we, as we kind of go back to them, they bypass Jesus' point. They, they hear him mention a sign Basically, he's pointed out that they've already received one. They skip over that detail. And they're like, hey, good idea. Give us a sign. We'll take one of those. Do a miracle. Because, of course, what are they looking for? More bread. So they're like, good idea, Jesus. Give us a sign. Then we could believe in you. Right? And then they play an interesting card. They play the uh, prophet jealousy card. I don't know why they think it'll work. But they're like, you know, Jesus was pretty cool yesterday. But Moses... He delivered bread every day. <laughs> wow, what do you think about that, Jesus? <laughs> I don't know. They, I guess they're thinking like prophets are jealous. Oh, Elijah did that. I better do something bigger and better. They, they, they try and play this card. And Jesus points out that while the manna was miraculous, and that is amazing, and it should cause you to ask important questions <laughs> more than just eat it, he points out to them however It only sustained life for a day. All those people in the desert, they died. They died in the desert. Jesus goes on. He says, it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus says that he himself is the bread, and he gives real life. You could take the most delicious bread out of the best oven from the best baker of all time, and it will sustain you for a day, and it will please your taste buds, and you will die someday. I am a kind of bread which if you eat, you will never die. In fact, you'll never even be hungry. And you'll never be thirsty. That's hard for us to comprehend. But Jesus himself is the bread. And his kind of life is permanently satisfying. See, it's not dependent on a failing physical body of just trying to keep it going. Remember what is eternal life? It's relationship with God that doesn't end... And it has this enormous capacity, this sort of, un, uh, see I can't even find the words. You can't comprehend the, the kind of life it is to relate to God, Jesus is saying. You'll never be hungry, you'll never be thirsty when, you have, when you're experiencing that kind of life. It keeps on going, but so it does in terms of its quality as well. And if, you've, if you're one of those people who's ever sat back and thought, you know, I don't know about heaven. I mean, it sounds a little boring to me. This is the point you've missed before. Jesus says, oh, no, not boring. Like you talk about makes your mouth water kind of satisfying. That's what eternal life is like. And that begins now because relationship with God can begin now it can begin tonight and it's the most reliable quality of life it's a big big concept these days quality of life you know because we can keep our physical bodies alive so long now you know we have to think about quality of life Jesus was all over that way before we were it's like I got quality of life for you. And so often, we think it's tied to something physical. But let me propose to you that that actually is not true at all. That there is greater satisfaction in what is immaterial than what is material, than what is spiritual, than what is physical. Now, we don't live like that very often. I, this is a challenge for me, too, preaching right to myself here. This is hard to grasp. This is hard for me to grasp. It's really hard to live out. But I think it's true. A few weeks back, I was at our uh, small group, and we were all sitting down at a table, and we were having a meal together. And uh, I just kind of sat back, you know, sometimes, and you just listen, and you think, this is really good. I mean, the food was delicious. And I just enjoy being there. There's something about when I know I'm going to spend time with those people. Something about it is like I feel like things are going to be okay. And and I get there, and I know that God is good. But it wasn't really the food. Proverbs 17:1 says, "Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Now, try and follow my logic and see if I'm making sense here. You have this great meal with friends, and it's, it's awesome. It's, it just feels like, if you're really honest, you know, it feels so much like life. And you can kind of picture Jesus there, and you kind of picture these scenes in the New Testament when he would go to someone's house and they would sit down around a table and you just wish you could be there because it's like, I think that's living. <laughs> I'd like to do more living like that. And so we, we have experiences like that at times with friends. The food is great and the friendship and the relationship is awesome. Okay? That's one scenario. The next one is you take that very same meal and you share it with people. You're somehow drugged into this situation where you are now with people who are your enemies. People who have stolen from you. People who have slandered you. Maybe people, if you would just want to imagine some bizarre scenario, who have harmed your children. It's like, let me out of that situation. I want out. I want to leave. What does that food mean to you in that scenario? It tastes just the same, and yet somehow it doesn't mean a thing anymore. It becomes only something physical that will sustain your physical life for one more day so that you hopefully could get to someplace better. I think it's what we'd be looking for. And then, of course, the third possibility is you have a really poor meal, like in Proverbs 17, a dry crust. It's not the first day bread. You know, this is three-day-old bread, 2,500 years ago. It's dry, crusty bread, but you've got friends. And it's still an experience that's, like, pretty good. That's the Proverbs point. So I ask you in all those, where does the physical side come out? As tasty as it is, it's secondary, isn't it? It can't actually satisfy your life as much as that intangible, as the relational, as the spiritual. Another great Proverbs. Proverbs. Two of them here. Proverbs 15. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. What's the point? Your life's in turmoil. You've got a lot in the bank. Who cares? Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Yeah, it makes sense. And yet so often we're sure that we need a fatted, fattened calf. Oh, a fat cow. (laughs) We're sure we need something we can hold in our hands, that we can get in our mouth, that we can put in the bank, that'll drive down the road, that'll be there at retirement, and on and on it goes. And... Jesus was like, hey, let's put some food in these people's stomachs. He's like, I care, I provide. I'm interested in that stuff. But don't let it distract you. Don't let those things become a boot that you use to hide away from the fear of the reality that you will die. Let's think about something important, Jesus says. Let's deal with that. How about tonight? Let's deal with that. Maybe that describes you. Maybe you kind of run from that reality and you've never actually said, all right, Jesus, I'm in for this eternity thing. What do I need to do? Maybe that's you tonight. Tonight would be the the time he's saying, yeah, how about tonight? On the other hand, maybe you know them and maybe you're looking forward to eternal life, but you realize there are some things I try and hold on and and I use it to kind of distract me from some of the things I fear. And maybe it's even a blessing that God wants you to have. I mean, this was a blessing to me for a while. (laughs) I needed it. God knew it. But where's your trust? Trust. And are you letting God heal you so that you don't have to trust those things? See, Jesus offers something better than all those physical things. He also provides for us real love, forgiveness and acceptance, a sense of belonging, a purpose in life that extends into eternity, everything that completely satisfies, and he says, you will never be hungry, you'll never be thirsty, you will never, when you trust me and and you're sticking with me, you're... Okay, eyes here. Jesus says, when you're focusing on me, you will never say, but I, but I need this. John chapter 6, 40, we we'll use this to kind of finish the story. Jesus concludes for the people, here's my Father's will. It's that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life loving relationship with God. And it will never end, and it will never fail you. He says, even death itself will not stop you because I will share my own resurrection with you. I will raise you up at the last day. And this love relationship will continue forever. Shall we pray?